Welcome to the Agile Wire, where professional scrum trainers Jeff Boobles and Jeff Molesky discuss agile topics. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Boobles and Jeff Molesky. And we are recording. All right, Mr. Boobles, kick us off, man. All right. So this week we got Ahmed Sedki on the podcast with us. So Ahmed, uh, you are the head of business agility at Riot Games. And many of our listeners may have not heard of Riot Games. So they've probably heard of the game that you produce or the most popular game out there, uh, League of Legends. Um, and it's a pretty agile game, the way it's been developed, the way it's been described to me. Um, I guess before we get too far into it, can you just give our listeners a little background about yourself? Sure. So um, started as a developer, went through the ranks, um, got into to, you know project management really early on. And, um, you know, led teams, did all that, but got really into product management also. Um, loved the idea of, you know, what can we build and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, after a number of years doing that, I uh, decided to do my PhD, uh, master's and PhD, my, and, and that took me into the uh, Agile space, really. I stumbled upon Agile. Uh, I did my master's in requirements engineering, which is very, very traditional uh, computer science, software engineering kind of stuff. And then uh, I remember going to my advisor and telling him, I can't continue this. Like, it's just so far from reality. Um, and it's so theoretical and academic. And he tells me, so, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to I want to work, find, discover a process, create a process that works the way people actually work. And I remember him looking at me smiling and says, good luck. Um, and so that's where I stumbled upon Agile. This was back in 2001, 2002. And so um, in doing that research, I stumbled upon Agile and it just totally resonated with me. Um, so I did my PhD in Agile adoption, Agile transformation, um, which was an uphill battle to convince a very traditional you know, school to do anything like that. Uh, but then from there, um, started, um, you know, uh, working in agile environments, then consulting. Um, and then Riot was one of my clients. And, you know, we fell in love. It was a great opportunity. I, I started with, with Riot as their head of dev management, um, then chief of staff uh, to the CEO. Um, and then throughout the journey, I, I'm very passionate about agile and, and education. And so, Co-founded IC Agile, the International Consortium for Agile, um, and the Business Agility Institute because I I do think um, there needs to be more in that space. Um, so anyway, that's a it, me in a nutshell. Um, so okay, so there's a lot lot there that we could dive into. Uh, the first one actually I want to I want to start with is. So your master's degree in requirements. And so you must be really good at like creating recipes, right? So like <laughs> what to build and how to do it. And how does that actually really work at Riot Games? Because a lot of a lot of clients out there, they're like, well, you just fill up this thing and we just deliver it quickly and that's agile to them, right? Yeah. So the the biggest gap for me was this idea. And, and as agilists, I think we we know this. You don't know what you don't know till you see it, right? And so a lot of the requirements management space is about, you know, um, articulation and extraction and finding the requirements and, and articulating them this way and, you know, making completeness of the requirements. I'm like, really? Like, I don't know what I want. And I can see people imagining in their head what is 
could be possible. And, and what adds insult to injury there is the way requirements are gathered, which is you got some time right now to give me everything you want. And after that, I'll charge you double. It will be painful. You have to ask for more funding, whatever it is, whatever penalties we put on people changing their mind later. So you get this kitchen sink mentality. It's like, oh, I want this and I want this and I want this. And so, but it's not actually, again, so combine that with the, the product development background I have. Dude, most of those things are never used, right? And people don't know what they want till they actually experience it. And that's, for me, the co- the, the co-creation concept in Agile. And, and I think we talk a lot about iterations and learning, but there really is this mindset of co-creating with the customer, right? The way we co-create is through iterations and feedback and all that kind of stuff. So how does that work at Riot Games? Like how do the teams that are building products, whether it's, I don't know, could be a team that's developing the music sure. for League of Legends. It could be a team that's doing the graphics or something, you know, background. How do they actually figure out what to do and how to work on it if they don't have requirements. So there's multiple dimensions of this, right? One is the people you hire, right? So we are very intentional that we want to hire our audience, mm. right? So that, you know, we're building, I don't want to say for ourselves, we're still building for the audience, but the way we hire, the the diversity we hire, who we talk to, how we engage with, you know, uh, groups. So that's something very, very important for us. So we've always said we have the biggest set of beta testers right here in the company. They're the right here, right? Um, when we launch a new game, one of our metrics is, is productivity going down in the company because we're all playing the new game? Um, because if, if we're all excited about the new game, then yes, there's something here that's sticky, right? So, so, you And again, this is not the only way, but who we hire is really, really important, right? Mm -hmm. and, and making sure that, you know, if you're in music, you're passionate about music, you're passionate about players, you're passionate about, and you understand the needs and motivations. And, and again, we have a global audience, so that adds complexity to it. But those are all different things. And then Again, typical things like, you know, you bring in customers frequent and, and get their feedback and integrate. And how you do all that is is simple, but not simple. Uh, but at the same time, it's necessary, right, to build something that is, and the key word here is resonant, right? How And, and with game development or, you know, lifestyle development, music, entertainment, these kind of things, Resonance is really, really hard, right? If you're an enterprise software, if you're in a bank or 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 any of my sort of previous you know spaces that that I was in, it's simpler actually. I need a thing to do a thing. Go write the requirements to do the thing, and then you know you can test it and make sure it does the thing. How do you test resonance? How do you test fun? What's fun for you is not what's fun for someone else. What's fun for someone in China might not be fun for someone in, in Germany, right? What is fun? How do you develop that, right? Those are all, I think, hard questions. But it, And that's why Agile for us is not, oh, we want to be Agile because it's the latest thing or this or that. It's, it's, it's a necessity. How else are you going to win 
with customers, with players, right? Um, without co-creating with them, iterating, learning, you know, pivoting. We've made mistakes along the way, 100%. But that's really the essence of it. Sorry, you, you wind me up there. I, I'll keep going. You got, you got to stop me, Jeff. No, this is this is really good. I love it when there's so so much passion coming from people that we're talking with. So, um, from from what I understand, agility has always, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, agility has always been in the DNA of Riot Games yes. um, since the very beginning. Like, I, I feel like that's in and of itself a competitive advantage versus so many organizations that are having to make that transition towards customer centricity or agility or easily responding to change, however, or that agile mindset, right? Whatever, whatever way we want to phrase it, right? So in your experience, having gone big companies going through that transition versus working with a company where it was embedded in their DNA from the very beginning, like it's still a learning process. It's still a journey, but like, I'm curious, how has it been different? Like, what are the contrasts that you see between those two types of environments? All right. So Again, you won't me up there, so here we go. Riot never set out to be agile, ever, till today. We've always set out to be customer-centric or player-centric, right? That was always, still is, will be the motivation. And it's because of that that we need to be agile, right? So Agile for us is not a nice to have. It is a necessity to be customer centric. Why? Because we know that the customer is in a constant state of motion, right? The customer doesn't even know what they want, right? We're creating new experiences. Here's the thing about customer centricity. I think a lot of people think, and not all, but a lot of people think of customer centricity as being sort of like customer service. What do you want? Let me give it to you. What do you want? Let me give it to you. Mm -hmm. That's not how we view customer centricity. Customer centricity or player centric is knowing the customer to such a degree that you can create a bold new world for them that will resonate with them. Mm -hmm. All right. So take Henry Ford, right? If he asked people what they wanted, they said, I want a faster horse. No, but he understood people, right? He loved the outdoors. He actually wanted people to go and enjoy the land around them, the USA, and go and travel, but there was no means. He was that kind of person. He was passionate about that. And so understanding the needs and motivations of people, he was able to build a new experience for them. So now going back to your question about Agile and born Agile, and, and because a lot of companies look at us and say, well, you guys were born Agile. Well, we were born customer-centric right? Not agile. Now, agile became a necessity. So the question I ask companies that I consult with is, are you really customer centric? Or is that just one of the values we put? Because, you know, we need to put those. When it comes down to it, do you truly put the customer in front of the org? Or are you org centric? And in order to be org centric, we got to satisfy the customer. It really is who's in service of who. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have seen many, many companies that are actually very org centric. It's about my profitability. It's about my market standing. It's about my competitive advantage. It's about me. Right. It's not about I am fighting on behalf of a customer. When Mark and Brandon founded Riot, they were fighting on behalf of players. They were sick and tired of how game companies treated players. Right transactionally. And they said, we're going to do something different. 
right? We're going to truly serve them. And that drove the agility in the company. When, when we were releasing League of Legends, it was daily iterations, right? Why? Because we wanted to make sure we were going to build something that resonates. Now, when you want that daily iteration, that just forces you to work in a different way than you would work normally, right? So, so I would say, because, like I said, uh, it, that's a hot button for me because it's customer centricity. That really drives, and it's and it's an identity, uh, Jeff. It really is. It, I, I my 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 metaphor. It's like it, it's an athlete, right? I work. Um, one of the the people I work with a lot at Riot, my sort of counterpartner here, is is a professional bodybuilder, right? He's at the gym three four hours a day. I'm not a professional bodybuilder by any means. I'm glad the camera zoomed in on my face right now, but not the rest of me. Um, but Here's the thing. When I look at him and I'm like, dude, how do you do it? Right? And his answer is just like it's it's who I am. Like those it's 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 not actually a choice in my head. It's just who I am and what I stand for, mm -hmm. right? So, for example, I'm I'm a practicing Muslim. I don't drink. He looks at me as like, I don't know how you don't drink. I'm like, for me it just it doesn't even compute. It's just it's not a thing for me. Right. And so companies that are customer centric, it you companies that aren't look at them as like, wait a minute, how do you make those decisions? It's like it's just second nature for me. That's how I work. I put the customer first because that's how I work. And so what becomes some of the hardest decisions in a transformation to agile are trivial for companies that are truly customer centric. Because the identity and what they're willing to do for that identity is different. Mm -hmm. That's that's the core transformation that I see in companies, not the systems, right? The systems follow the strategy, which follows the mission, which follows identity. Anyway, long, yeah. long, long. Uh, Lots there, on. right? So I, I want to expand on the identity thing because I think that's a that's a huge topic. So you have a lot of developers, right? People that code every single day. And if they identify themselves as I'm a developer, I write code. That's one thing and kind of seems more like what a organizationally fo focused organization might say is like, you have a job, you do this thing, be efficient at it. But if you have a purpose, like what you were just describing, and you have something that you're so passionate about, like you just were, your passion is, you know, it oozes out. Um, you're going to say, I'm a problem solver. I solve problems for gamers. And that's my passion. And I, I create fun for people. And that's, you know, that's that's a whole different thing to get excited about every single day. 100%. And I think that and I think that's that's it just comes out in the way that you talk about this. That's awesome. And and it's hard, by the way. It really is hard to find people that like that. And so that's why, again, um, you know, when we were prepping for this, we were talking about agile beyond uh, just delivery. I think agile and HR is really, really important. And I'm not talking about putting Kanban boards for HR teams. I'm talking true agility, understanding culture, hiring for mission alignment, building those. Because again, here's the thing. The most agile part of any organization is people. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter what systems you put in place. Scrum, safe, dad, put whatever you want. It doesn't make a difference. Because if you have people that are not agile, that are not passionate, 
you will have passive compliance to whatever systems those are. Now, put the worst systems, the most non-agile systems in place, but have people that are passionate about serving customers. They will break those systems and they will get the work done, right? So it's, for me, and I know this is problematic and well, we have to have systems. Yes, okay, we can optimize. But when you boil it down, it's people. It really mm-hmm. is. People with growth mindsets, learning mindsets, agile mindsets, whatever you want to call them, right? And they're passionate about serving a customer. And they understand who their customer is. And they understand the motivations. And they're willing to take that ownership and do whatever it takes to get there. Yeah. Sorry, Jeff. I just wanted to say, like, that growth mindset, that's what I heard even before you heard that said that. Like, I just kept hearing that echoing in my head. Like, so it's if we're talking agile HR, it's really about finding people that I don't have the skill yet. I can't do this yet, but I will get there. I'm going to practice on this. I'm going to work towards this thing. And if you have HR and they can that can help bring those people into your organization that want to grow, that have that passion and have that desire. I mean, the sky's the limit. You're, you're going to figure yeah. it all away. <laughs> I think the role of HR is bringing them in and keeping them growth mindset. Here's the problem. That, right? Yeah. Organizations are complex, very, very complex. And, um, and I want to acknowledge that. I think sometimes we look from the outside and it's like, why don't you just do this? It's hard. It's really, really hard. Right. And so there is a natural tendency in organizations to move even the best of growth mindset people to fixed mindset. It's mm. safer. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it in with the best of intentions, right? Where we tell someone, you know what? Let's get it right this time. Oh, well, that just rose. The, the stakes just went really up right now. So if I don't get it right this time, like we say it motivationally, right? But you actually, that word just shifted something mm-hmm. in that person's mindset. Well, what if I don't? What's going to happen? Well, let me play it a little safer this time, right? It's small things. And so HR is, you know, I... I Culture is defined by the top, no doubt, but it's mm-hmm. communicated and, and, and nurtured by HR, by middle management. And so the HR role in an agile organization is so fundamental, yet I think we've boiled it down very transactionally, but they create a culture of learning. They can the way performance is set, the, the 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 language we use. So it's it's HR and internal comms. Put those two together. Those are a key to many transformations that a lot of people just haven't knocked on that door yet or have knocked on it in a transactional manner versus in a true partnership manner. It's like, listen, in one way or another, you guys, I don't want to say own culture, but you drive it, right? Let's drive this learning culture. And what does that mean? It's hard. It's hard. And with with HR, and we, we've actually talked about this a few times in the past. But you know, a, HR is really that gatekeeper to your culture, and then your culture is essentially whatever you're you're saying yes or you're saying no to. What are the behaviors uh, that we find acceptable as a culture, and what are the ones that we don't find acceptable, and be promoting or um, re- removing all of those to in- enhance our culture overall, and. W- you know, back to back to what you were saying earlier, what really 
even at Acorns, this is this is one of our um, pillars is hiring um, missionaries, not mercenaries, right? Like the, we want the passion, right? We 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 are a very mission centered organization. So with benevolence and courage, we look after the financial best interests of the up and coming, right? That that phrase is literally on the beginning of every slide deck that we have internally. And it's not just skipped over, it's, it's read and people understand the values that go along with it. When I took the job, I like I, I told everybody I talked with, like, I, I don't need this job. I want this job because I believe in the mission. Yes. And Everybody that we bring in, and I, I talk—I I shouldn't talk too much about Acorns, but I think I talked with about ten people through that interview process, and every one of them, you felt the mission coming through in the conversations. They were all there because they believed in what they were, what we're trying to do as an organization, and I think that just further kind of emphasizes what you're talking about here. Put that with a growth mindset. It, like, I don't care if you've got the skills today. I care that you have the right attitude and you're bought into the mission and you are aligned with us and we can all row in the right direction. Um, and that's how we achieve these phenomenal outcomes as cultures, as organizations, yes. as companies, whatever we want to throw out there. Yep. I totally agree with you. And, and um, you said one of the, you said behaviors and, the, and, and for me, that's a, that's a keyword. I've, I, I want to talk about behaviors for a second and sorry if I'm taking us in a different that's direction, great. but, I really think when we talk about um, organizations that want to transform, and I, I talk about this on, on my website um, because I think when we talk about transformation a lot, we tend to focus on the, the strategy, the structure, the processes, those kind of things. When you really boil it down to behaviors, just boil it down to behaviors. What are behaviors that we see today in the organization? And what behaviors do we want to see tomorrow, right? And that tomorrow behavior discussion needs a vision. You need to have a vision for how you want to work, what the world looks like for you. And I think a lot of transformations miss that today. They don't, they have a tactical operational um, agenda for, you know, I have KPIs I want to change, I want to, but to inspire hearts and minds, to really paint a picture of what the future will look like working here. That's important. But then you boil those down to behaviors and you get magic because now we are all focused on changing these behaviors. It's not about agile or not, or scrum or, or, or these practices or standups or sticky notes. It's not about any of that. It's mm -hmm. about, I want to see this behavioral change. And I'll tell you a quick story here. Um, I don't know how many years back, but it was it was one of uh, my clients that I was was helping consult, and it was a, a major agile transformation. And um, they've been struggling with agile for a couple of years. And I, I, you know, was consulting with them, and agile was one of I think five or six different transformations that were happening in this big company. And it was just like another thing. That's it. And so. There was this big meeting, directors and above, all the way to the C-level, and um, Agile had 45 minutes on the agenda um, because we had other things to do and talk about, of course. And, you know, the, the team working with me was like, what are we going to talk about? What, you know, what progress report are we going to give and, and all that? And 
Till this moment, everyone was giving Agile a lot of lip service, but no real action. And so we designed this, back to behaviors here, we designed this exercise. So we have this big stage, um, and back when we could all meet in person, uh, this was, you know, uh, we asked everyone to stand up, 200 plus people, and stand along the stage, imagining the stage as a spectrum. And we put one flip chart on the left that said, uh, not committed to Agile, and one flip chart on the right that said committed to Agile. And we said, please go stand where your level of commitment is. Everyone, 200 people are standing sort of to the right um, where it says committed to Agile. And then um, we say, oh, sorry, we forgot to define the spectrum. So we bring out these flip charts that actually articulate behaviors, right? And so level one commitment are these behaviors. And the behaviors has something like, if I remember correctly, send my people to training, right? That's level one, right? All the way up to level five behavior, which is inclusive of one, two, three, and four, but it says, I personally, as a leader, will demonstrate uh, limiting work in progress, and I can't remember what, active listening or something yeah. like that. Um, and we said, oh, sorry, guys, can you just stand where your actual level of commitment is based on these defined behaviors? And it, that was the moment where everyone moved to the right, to the left. And I was standing beside, I think it was the CIO and CMO, um, and I said, that's your problem right there. Everyone is committed, but not to what behaviors. They're just, it's a generic, fluffy commitment. And so when you boil it down, oh, Siri's talking to me. When you boil it down to behaviors, it's powerful. Because now I can say, do I observe these behaviors or not? Right? What can we do to change these behaviors? And now the strategy, structure, and process are all in service of how do we enable this new behavior in the organization? Sorry, you that that word just there's, you know. yeah, there's so much there. Um, maybe we could just back up for a second. What what does it look like, sound like, feel like at Riot Games when you're talking about an agile environment, the behaviors that people see? Like, just paint us a picture once, if you could. Just I don't know if everyone under, completely understands uh, what it's like there. Uh, that's a hard question. That that is a very hard question. But let me try. So, you know, from if I'm painting a picture, you have a very open environment, literally very physically open. No one has an office, not even our CEO, right? We have maybe, you know, uh, you know, meeting rooms that are more dedicated towards people because they're always in meetings. But actually, everyone has a desk. Everyone has a desk um, on the floor, right? And teams, the reason we have that, we have walls that move, walls that are on wheels, because you want teams to shift and change and, and people to, you know, um, structure and restructure easily um, and teams to expand and, 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 and whatnot based on workload and so forth. Um, you have passion everywhere you walk. You have passion. You have visibility, ton of information radiators all over the place, digital, physical, whatnot. Um, you have a culture of challenging, of experimenting, of trying, of let's do this. So when you look at our journey as right, we have a game um, and we didn't we didn't know it was going to do this good. 
right? Um, but when when you have people that are passionate, like we talked about earlier, they start to say like, hey, what if we do this? And now you have leadership that not doesn't say, well, this isn't on our plan or whatnot, or I don't have budget for this. They're like, I'm as crazy as you are. Let's do it. Let's try it, right? And so we've tried these different things that have grown our capabilities over the year. Who knew that we would go from, you know, every game has music, but to publish a music album and have our own, you know, virtual band and like all these things. Guess what? That wasn't the top coming up with these ideas. That was people on the front line saying, what if? Can we? Can I experiment with this? Right? We just announced we're doing an animated series, right? Um, and so guess what? That wasn't a strategic bet. That was a music producer, composer saying, I have an idea about this. Can we try it out? Right? So that culture of we want to do, and again, when when we were, you know, two, three hundred people, that's one thing. We're you know, 3,500 people across 22 offices, there is complexity to this, right? And and there's, the more we grow, that's what I'm saying, organizations are complex and they're hard, but you want to keep that core spirit alive, right? You have what we call thunderdomes, like hackathons, right? And ideas come from that. Like, you want to keep this bottom-up, top-down dynamic. Things need to be top-down too. Don't, like, th that's the other thing. I think we we... We paint one picture and we say it's uniform across. No, it's not, right? There are things that are top down because there's no way you can lead an organization of that size without having some things top down. But it's the balance of top down and bottom up, right? It's the balance of ownership and accountability, right? Mm. You want people to feel that ownership and try new ideas. But yeah, look, listen, if you this if this was your own startup, you would be held accountable by whoever's funding you, yourself or your VC or your angel investor. So there's this balance of, so it's a, it, if you ask me, it's a tension. It's a healthy tension across multiple dimensions. So anyway, I want to stop uh, long answers, but. Um. <laughs> no, these are great. Um, please continue with them. But I, but I'm kind of curious because you just brought in that, that funding piece at the end. And so, so. I may have to edit this out afterwards, but I'll ask the, the question anyway. So Acorns is in the process of going public. And so there's been a lot of scrutiny around, okay, well, now, now that we're going to be held publicly accountable to things, we need to have more formality around our roadmaps, the things that we're looking to deliver, because these are what our investors are going to be looking in. Um, and so there has been a lot of type of conversation around that. So when I hear what you're talking about, the, the, the top down, bottom up, you know, not that I'm looking for the secret sauce inside of so there, but like if there is a balance between, yeah, we have investor commitments that we need to make and the, here was our projected roadmap for 2022 or whatever that happens to be, but we've got all these wild, crazy ass ideas that sound fantastic and we want to do them. Like where, what, what is that that balance or that, that, that middle area that you're able to strike at Riot Games to be able to fulfill those uh, commitments to to investors but also the flexibility to go off in a completely new direction and experiment so we're wholly owned by tencent so tencent is is a public company we're we're not we're a wholly owned subsidiary but we have a board that we still have to answer to right um i'll tell you this i think it's the ceo's job to provide air cover for the organization to be agile 
and to be customer centric and to take long term bets. And as you know, former chief of staff and as uh, worked closely with the founders, this is something that they invested a lot in. They invested a lot to make sure that the board understands listen, esports is a very long term bet and it will put us in the red for years, years. And if if my board, if my investors don't understand that, so you know, I think to to any company that's looking to go public, right? There's a there's a a real big question of, you know, you gain things, you lose things, right? And and what is that trade off going to be for you? I don't know, right? But here's the interesting thing: the um the 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 surrendering to certain constraints blindly versus the creative, like, you know what? I'm going to do this for my customers still. Not, I, I now have also stakeholders and investors I need to, to satisfy. But when it comes down to it, who's going to win, right? Is it short-term market forces or is it long-term um, customer focus? And I've seen companies nowadays and and like take tesla as an example and again i am not a financial guy by any means right but i've seen people like elon musk say you know what i don't i don't care about the short term right i'm going to do what's right on the long term and the market's going to go up and down this is a very complex thing that i think is beyond my scope my understanding because the market definitely puts very short term pressure on public companies Right. And the way executives are compensated around that, I can make a bet, get a big lump, do a quick win, you know, retire early and I'm in and I'm out. Right. This is, like I said, beyond me, but I've seen it. I've been in in certain conversations where I've seen, you know, what this really entails. And I think it's a very it's a systemic problem that I don't have a quick answer to right now. But what I invite companies to do is. If a company is really agile and doing great and they need to go public for whatever reason, that's totally fine. What kind of public company are they going to be? Right? Easier said than done. Get it. But um, it's going to just like, by the way, when you take a very hard stance in a transformation and there's going to be a lot of people opposing you and a lot of people may leave and all that, it's the same thing. If you're going to be a customer centric, long term focused company that is public, yeah, certain institutional investors may not want to be part of this. And are you okay with that? That's the kind of things that I think companies may not really think about is what do we lose? Because there are controls. There are things that I need to add, but I can do them in certain ways that adds flexibility, or I can do them in certain ways that reduces my flexibility. And that's a choice. Yeah. Earlier, you're talking about customers and not doing everything your customer wants, right? Like I, I had this vision of the Homer Simpson episode where it was the everyman's car and he builds this car and it's got every little feature on it, but it's super, super expensive and nobody wants it, right? Yeah. And that happens in products all the time, especially digital products. But the same thing I could be could be said right now for for you know stockholders, right? Like, do I want every stockholder or do I want only ones that care about long term? Do I want yeah. ones that uh, do I care if I lose some people that are short term? you know, want the short-term gain if I, maybe I don't, I don't know. I think that's part of you as a company to say, and get your board on board and things like that saying, exactly. we're going to be a long-term company. This is how we're going to operate. This is what got us here. And this is what's going to make us successful into the future. 
And, and that's I'll tell you this, it's really hard because, you know, some companies want to go public to reward their employees, right? And to give them some, you know, long-term, you know, uh, wealth, you know, real gain. And that's great. But what do you lose? Because that same thing that you want may be the reason why now the culture changes because, mm -hmm. well, now my wealth is measured by my stock price. Oh, wow. So if I do this short term, my stock price, my wealth, I leave. It's, it's really complicated, guys. <laughs> but it's real. Like, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this. This is not something most people talk about when they talk about Agile. But it all plays. It, it's it's it, if we're talking about a systems view of things, mm -hmm. this definitely plays a role. Huge. Yeah, the incentive structures that are in place, right? Like whether we want to acknowledge it or not, there, there's always going to be influence there. Yeah. So what kind of incentive structures do you put in place that it promote learning, uh, promote the growth mindset, promote the culture that, I mean, Getting to a culture that you have at Riot Games is one thing. Maintain it's, maintaining it's probably just as much work, if not harder work, especially with the size that you're at now. So what kind of things do you do to keep that culture going? Oh, all right. What do we do to keep the culture going? First, it's a conversation that we have every day. It's not something that we lose sight of, right? Out of, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Um, so we, we, we talk about culture. We invest in culture. When, when we talk about incentives, it's hard because again, as the company matures and grows and, and different things, things shift over time. But one of the things that I think we have kept at the heart of, of Riot is this idea of one team. We are one Riot, right? And that was easy at the beginning because we had one game, right? But even though we had one game, we had different products, we had esports, we had, you know, uh, different you know countries but we've always kept this idea of we win together we lose together right many companies have different incentive structures depending on the business unit you're in depending on this or that and so it starts to inadvertently create this kingdomship leaders start to build kingdoms call them silos call them whatever but i want to win right and especially if the pot of gold is limited I win, you lose. Now, mm -hmm, this becomes a very interesting dynamic that you build in an organization. Um, this past year, we've launched, you know, four more games. And so there is the, the gravitational pull to start to think of each one as a separate studio. It's very typical in game companies. And we're pushing, like, our CEO is like, no, we are one. This game may go through ups and downs, but if we're really focused on the long term, this other game will carry it. So if I reward the people on this game, if they go up and reward the people on this game, if they go down, then everyone wants to optimize for the short term because we are human, right? <laughs> um, and we all lose. So the idea of one PNL, one riot, one incentive structure um, for many big companies is crazy. For us, it's foundational. Right. And that just keeps the idea that, you know what, we are all focused on what's best for Riot. So we're optimizing for the whole, not for the part. Right. Um, it's hard at a leadership level. If you're a president of a group of a, of a, of a, of a division, that's really hard. Right. Um, but those are the things where I see our CEO and, and our leadership team investing in. And by the way, it sends ripple effects across the company. When you start to see that one team mindset at the top, 
people start to you know collaborate more, initiate collaboration. Collaboration is so hard and difficult. People avoid it, right? Let alone if collaborating has no material effect on me, my product, my you know my incentives, my rewards. Why the hell go through it, right? Um, now, it's yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, as, as as you were as you were just talking about that, I was trying to think about like what because we were talking about incentive structures earlier, and it's like if you incentivize the the whole or let, let's take the the other the other way you know you incentivize the per product line and now you've got legends of runeterra that's starting to suffer or valorant that's starting to suffer any of the other individual ones right all of a sudden that you you've created the stigma the stigma there it's it's the sinking ship everybody wants to get away from that as quickly as possible right because they're incentivized to go over to the winning side and then you just you're you're uh, what is it uh uh, not a virtuous, a vicious, vicious yeah. cycle, right? You're just hastening the demise there. But having this incentive structure where it's one riot, one one platform or w one holistic organization, now all of a sudden it's like, hey, this area over here is starting to sink a little bit. What can I do to help that area, right? Like, and that's that's the virtuous cycle that yes. we want. That's us looking out for each other, lifting us up and tie right in with all these other great, you know, agile buzzwords that we can throw out there. But um, I, I really like that because of the the dysfunction that we can so consistently see and point to when it comes to fiefdoms, when it comes to silos, when it comes to local uh, optimizations versus systems uh, system-wide optimizations, just a, a lot of that can be drawn from those incentives that we're putting in place and either the positive or negative repercussions of, of those incentive structures. Yep. I'll give you a trade-off there though. So when you do have one riot, now you have you know 3,000 plus people, it's hard for me to feel the impact that I make to riot itself. What do what does Jeff Wells do to help on a daily basis to impact the bottom line? And if I have a smaller PNL, I have teams that I'm working on. I have a product line. I'm like, yep, we are focused on this goal. Did we hit that goal? Did we not? Like, I can feel satisfaction in that. I can feel something. Now, Greg, you got your passion. You you're hiring people that really care about what they're doing. But I think having transparency into the effects did this work or did this not work when we're running experiments is very, very important. And so I think you have to know that for each of your games that you're putting out there. 100%. So even when you have virtual PLs, let's call it that, right? Mm -hmm. It's for visibility and navigation, not for decision making and rewards, right? That's the difference. So as a head of a team, a head of a division, I was I was I was leading our, our dev management discipline, right? I needed my I need to know how much I'm you know, making, how much I'm, you know, I, I need to know those things as a responsible leader running a, a part of the org. Mm -hmm. But that's very different than making company-wide decisions or decisions that will affect the company trying to optimize for my PNL, right? So visibility, totally agree. But optimization, we optimize for the whole. And how do you do that practically? Just don't create incentives at the, the silo level. Create incentives if you all win together. And that becomes, you know, if we hit collectively, Riot hits this mark, we do this. Great. How do we make Riot hit that mark? Back to your point, Jeff. Oh, what's the part that's, you know what, this game, if we can push this game up, we all, you know, we all go up. Great. Let's do that. Versus let's all jump ship from there, go to the cash cow, because that's where I get my short, you know, short term bonus. Mm -hmm. And I'll, you know, go on that family vacation I want to go on. Right. It, it, again, you're dealing with humans. You're dealing with, 
you know, things that affect day-to-day -day lives. And so once we get to incentive structure, it is so powerful, the culture that that incentive structure can create, right? Um, and that's, again, going back full circle, HR plays a role, a huge role in that. Yeah. And making sure people understand why and how that gets divided and all that good stuff. Um, so, I don't know. Do you have any... We've told this story a couple of times in the podcast about like, you know, there are certain companies out there Well, they all say, we're going to give this team X number of dollars for, you know, raises for bonuses, whatever, and then let the team decide how they're going to like divide that up because they know they're, they're closer to the work. They'll figure out the best way to divide that up. Why should we do that from a leadership standpoint over here? Um, do you guys do anything like that or how does that happen on the teams? We don't do that. And um, again, I don't know if we would do that i i haven't thought of that but yeah i've heard of that in you know management 3.0 practices and and whatnot i mean the way we do it is you know there's a leader that is you know i think we we look at leadership as you know far away but there's a leader close to that team right like when i was when i was leading a, a big team I, I knew i knew who's actually doing what and you know so we just delegate to that level so there is still leadership making decisions right um we don't just give the the the, the pot to the team and, and have them allocated good bad maybe it works for some teams maybe it doesn't but i think again no solution is 100% good or right or, you know, bad or, you know, there's, there's, I think if you have that kind of dynamic at scale, you will have different behaviors that start to emerge, whether good or bad for your organization, I don't know. But you'll have people creating little tribes and, 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 you know, I scratch you back, you scratch my back kind of thing. I don't know, right? Because we're human and these things happen. But long story short no we're not doing that um but we are we are definitely making sure that leaders close to people get to decide on you know it's not it's not done at the top so when you say leaders what does leaders look like at riot games like tell me more about that leaders is a very wide range it's someone uh, accountable for a group um, you know, whether it's a team, uh, a, an org, a group of teams, I call all of those leaders, right? Now, is does everyone is everyone a leader? Everyone should demonstrate leadership, but I don't think everyone is a leader. Like, again, at some point you have to make that distinction or else, mm -hmm. you know, if, if everything is, if everyone is a leader, then what are leaders, right? There's a level of accountability that comes with leadership. Uh, I think I've talked about this um, before. Um, the the difference between ownership and and uh, so when when you think about it, like there's collective responsibility and there's 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 accountability, right? As citizens of the United States, we are collectively responsible uh, for you know our country but we have an elected leader that we hold accountable. That's the kind of thing I'm, I'm talking about. Uh, Ahmed, it's been great having you on the show. Is there anything you want to plug here uh, before we wrap it up? No, no plug really, just, you know, uh, invite people to, to, to you know, uh, explore more than just, you know, the delivery of Agile. There's, there's a lot that we can do. Uh, I've put a lot of my stuff on my website, ahmedsidki.com, just, um, you know, 
PowerPoints, Google Slides, just use it. Like, you know, there's a lot. Anyone that it knows Agile and is passionate about Agile, we can make an impact in in culture and organizations in our families. So um, I put a lot of my resources, a lot of my talks there um, just for, for people to use. So just invite people to check that out. Thank you for listening to the Agile Wire. We are consistently inspecting and adapting ourselves. We would appreciate feedback at feedback at theagilewire.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play Store. See you next time.